Hello everybody, you're listening to the When in Spain podcast. What is When in Spain? Why, it's a show all about Spain, Spanish culture and life right here in Spain, as I'm sure you've guessed from the title of this podcast. My name's Paul Burge, I'm an Englishman living here in Madrid and, well, I'm also your host for this show. I just felt so comfortable there and I think I think anyone who moves abroad and lives somewhere else you're you're much more open to everyone and everything and you notice all the small details I think I became much more confident I think much more independent I think I've picked up some of the Spanish positivity that's Kate Boyle she's recently written her first novel called Happy as a Partridge Life and Love in Madrid and I'll just read a little bit from the blurb about the book which I'm going to be talking with her about a little bit later in this podcast episode uh, the blurb says Evie Fuller is quite simply fed up single unemployed and rapidly approaching her 30th birthday she finds London life is weighing heavy when a month of free language lessons offers an escape route. She heads to Madrid for sun-soaked adventures and a crash course in Spanish culture. Will a change of scene restore her zest for life? Well, I'll be chatting to Kate about her time in Madrid, which was the inspiration behind her novel Happy as a Partridge. But before we get to the interview with Kate, uh, I must just say a big thank you and a special mention to new When in Spain patrons, Katie Glanfield and Michael Clishin, uh, for signing up to support the podcast by making a donation on the crowdfunding website. Yes, you've guessed it. Patreon.com patreon.com forward slash when in Spain and I must also say a huge gracias to Susan Lebeau who's uh, already a when in Spain patron actually but decided to increase her pledge so thank you to you Susan uh, it's really really very much appreciated if any other listeners enjoy this podcast and think it's worth a little bit of your money you can also become a when in Spain patron by heading over to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. At the moment, we have, I think, 32 patrons. My ultimate goal is to reach 50 patrons supporting me and the When in Spain podcast. So if you can, please think about it. Uh, please consider making a small donation. What do I spend the money on? Beer and tapas? No, absolutely not. It goes towards covering the cost of putting this podcast together, which does incur associated costs of publishing and syndicating. Uh, and those kinds of things. And it also really goes towards my time. I, on average, each week dedicate more or less a full day or sometimes a day and a half uh, to putting the show together. Um, so that's time preparing and researching, interviewing, a lot of time spent editing and a lot of time spent publishing and sharing uh, the podcast around on social media, that kind of thing. So uh, to really help ensure that I can keep devoting uh, my time to the podcast and uh, forego some of my working hours in my day job, um, please do consider uh, making a small uh, donation via Patreon. So enough of that. Let's get into the interview with Kate Boyle. 
who shares her own really interesting personal experience of moving uh, to Madrid to teach English, kind of by accident, uh, as you will find out during the interview. Kate has since returned to the UK and is now living and working in London. So we look at uh, how she found living in Madrid, um, how uh, life here in Spain compares with life in the UK, many other interesting and funny uh, observations that she had on Spanish life. And she also shares some uh, advice and pointers for anyone who listens to this podcast and uh, who is also thinking about making the move to Spain uh, to live and work. Kate, thank you for joining When in Spain podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Congratulations on writing your, your debut novel, really, Happy as a Partridge. Um, thanks so much. Now, Happy as a Partridge, this comes from a colloquial Spanish expression, más feliz que una perdiz, or feliz como una perdiz, or something like this. Exactly. Um, I dithered for months trying to come up with a title, and I wanted something a bit quirky and a bit something that people would remember. And happy as a partridge, or feliz como una perdiz, was the first Spanish expression I learnt, and um, I've always remembered it. First expression you learnt? Okay, wow. <laughs> first expression I used, probably, um, and yeah. I'm really proud of myself for slipping it into conversation one day. And I always thought it was a bit random. Who knew partridges were happy? Or maybe yeah. they're not. I don't know the origin of the phrase, but well, exactly. Like and actually, who knows who Larry is? That's a good point as well. Yeah. Who the hell is Larry? <laughs> so, más feliz que una perdiz, or happy as a partridge. And we'll talk in a bit more detail about the novel a, a bit later in the podcast. But I wanted to talk about your experience in Spain. Now, you, you lived in Madrid for, I think, nearly three years. Is that right? Yes, so two and a half years. Two and a half years. Were you happy as a partridge when you first arrived in Madrid? Uh, no, to be brutally honest. Very similar to the protagonist in the book. I won a competition for a month of Spanish lessons and moved to Madrid on rather a whim. I was unemployed. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so it felt like fate when these lessons landed in my lap. So I moved to Madrid and... Yeah, initially, I just felt a bit disappointed. I think I didn't know Spain at all, really. Um, I had been envisaging sort of flamenco dancers on street corners and, um, <laughs> you know, ridiculously cliched images of Spain everywhere. And Madrid, um, it doesn't have the grandeur of somewhere like Rome or beauty of Paris. It took me a, a while to, to succumb to its other charms and fall in love with it. I would agree with that my, myself, speaking from my experience of moving to Madrid, actually. Uh, it's the kind of city that at the beginning, it makes you work pretty hard to kind of fall in love with it. Mm, I think so. But anyone I've met who has, has made the commitment and has fallen in love with it is completely under its spell. I suppose, yeah, being a, a European capital city, you're right, it doesn't have the kind of maybe the elegance or grandeur or, or even the kind of deep, deep history that uh, other capital cities might have, like you said, like uh, like Rome or Paris. But it it has something about it that once you're under its spell, it completely seduces you. I mean, for you, what was it once event, once you'd been in Madrid for a while? What was it that uh, that, that converted you into a, a, a lover of Madrid? <laughs> I, I just felt so comfortable there. And I think I think anyone who moves abroad and lives somewhere else, you're, you're much more open to everyone and everything. And you notice all the small details that make you smile. And everyone was so friendly. 
and my Spanish was pretty terrible when I arrived, but <laughs> everyone seemed so helpful and so interested in English and the English. Um, I felt like a bit of a celebrity at times. Uh, I remember one time walking down the street with a Spanish friend and she bumped into some of her Spanish friends and she practically pushed me forward down the pavement. I was like, this is Catherine. She's my friend from London. Um, <laughs> I quite know what to say to that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were times when their directness, the bluntness of Spaniards yeah. was quite off-putting and upsetting. I think I'm naturally quite sensitive and it took me a while to adapt to that. I would definitely agree with that. I think maybe it's, maybe it's our British sensibilities. We're not quite used to the the directness and the bluntness of, of, of Spaniards at first. It can come as a bit of a... never being aware of quite how sensitive and English I was, I think, until I was confronted with that. But then at the same time, I think all the Spaniards I met had so much positivity and optimism and sort of a joy of life that I found really refreshing coming from London, where everything feels a lot more stressful in comparison. I think in Spain in general, there is definitely more of an emphasis on the simple things in life, maybe you know, uh, uh, not not living to work, but uh, but working to live kind of mentality, maybe. I, it's almost as if you know, the Spaniards feel they have a right to a good lunch break, you know, inherent in them that they're not going to have a sandwich at a desk. They're going to have a nice lunch and they're going to have a good chat and then they'll go back to work. Absolutely. And a glass of wine as well, probably, or, or a canya. <laughs> and what was it that, that initially brought you to Madrid then? Now, you mentioned winning a competition. Tell us a bit about that. I have a Chilean sister-in-law, and I've always felt bad. I mean, obviously, she speaks English, but I've always felt bad that none of us really spoke Spanish. Um, and so I had started having Spanish lessons once a week in London, just evening classes. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I'd forgotten I'd even entered the competition. The language school where I was doing the classes was running some sort of competition. We'd all been encouraged to enter. And um, just suddenly got this email telling me I'd won a month of classes. It was with International House, a quite a big language school. Very well-known big uh, language school in, in Madrid. Were you, yeah, International House, were you at the, there's a branch near Alonso Martinez. Were you yeah, at that? that one? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So great location. So you had a month of uh, Spanish classes. Um, how was your experience of that? It was great. Um, it was it was quite bizarre. It's like going back to school after a good ten years or so of of working. Um, but I loved the complete mixture of people there. Such a variety of ages and um, nationalities, and uh, they were really fun classes. They were they were very good at looking after you as well and helping you with all other parts of your life because I mean I'd turned up without anywhere to live and without knowing anyone. And You'd never been to Madrid before had you been to Spain before? I'd been to Barcelona a couple of times. The Spanish course was a month long but you ended up staying two and a half years or thereabouts. How did that happen once the month was up? What was it that made you decide to stay and to stay for a considerably longer time? Were your, were your friends and family quite surprised? I think they were yes but after a month the Madrid, Madrid had um began to cast its spell over me and I was very reluctant to come back to job hunting in London um, so I thought I'd see see what I could do to earn some money there. Unfortunately my Spanish was still terrible. <laughs> my Spanish had improved a lot but it was still um, quite terrible and work-wise I thought the easiest thing I could do quickly was to um, become an English teacher because the English teachers are so in demand over there as I'm sure you know. Absolutely um, yeah. There's a lot of work to be had. So having never taught before, um, I did a TEFL course at TT Madrid, which was great. And then 
decided to sign up for a, a government scheme to be a teaching assistant in a secondary school. Um, but as I soon found out, nothing in Spain works as you <laughs> expect it to. <laughs> arrived on day one, picturing a nice school in a leafy suburb of Madrid, I actually arrived at a vocational institute for 530 men training to be mechanics. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite, <laughs> quite a shock. I was the only girl in the building and the only English teacher. So I was, I was soon told I had to um, give two-hour classes in technical English so the guys could read maintenance manuals and fix engines. <laughs> That's very niche, very niche vocabulary, I imagine, yeah. Very niche, and yeah, let's just say a niche that I knew absolutely nothing about. So I was quite, quite terrified. Once you got into your stride teaching, though, did you enjoy it compared to your uh, previous experience of working? How does teaching uh, compare? On positives, I loved the the variety and the lack of predictability I mean the students would just come out with the most ridiculous questions however much you planned and prepared you could just never predict how a class was going to go right love that um I'd never appreciated the element of performance in teaching before and how if someone asks you a question you don't know the answer to you just you can't just hide behind your computer and chat to your friends on Facebook for 10 minutes you're kind of on stage really all the time believe me at first I found that very uncomfortable um and let's just say some of the guys weren't that interested in manuals and would rather make jokes and talk about sex and women and <laughs> right one of my favorite questions was um describe what's the difference teacher between boobs breasts and tits and when would you use each word amazing <laughs> no i've never thought about that interesting question i would love to have been a fly on the wall at that moment trying to <laughs> trying to explain that one wow <laughs> yeah, nobody was there <laughs> and so and then you, you continued teaching for the duration of your time uh in madrid is is that right did you stay in the same place yes yeah, so i stayed there um for nine months until the end of the year and then also taught lots of business classes as well so in banks and insurance companies and things I went around and taught lots of their of senior staff so that was quite a nice contrast to the mechanics really and it was quite nice to go from a big class to go to some one-on-one classes and some small group classes and so it was I love the variety and the constant moving around and it's much nicer than being stuck behind a desk. My next question was going to be culture shocks, really. I mean, it's a bit of a kind of cliched question, I guess. But I mean, did you really in your early days in Madrid or maybe during your first six months or year, did you really come up against any kind of challenges or difficulties that you faced or anything that was just really a a complete surprise to you that you didn't expect? I think I definitely found it more of a culture shock than I expected. You know, it wasn't like I was moving to Africa or Asia or somewhere. But uh, I think the, the directness of Spaniards, I think I, I've always been taught to be a very polite English girl. And I really had to get much tougher in terms of ordering at, in bars or um, yes, yes. don't like the queue. They just walk to the front. And that was really alien to me, that <laughs> concept. I mean, language was my biggest barrier at the beginning. I remember pacing up and down outside of pharmacy for ages just practicing sentences over and over in my head trying to summon up the courage to go in and try them out on some poor unsuspecting person there um yeah yeah but I think what's my confidence in that arena grew it was it, it was great I would agree with that. I think obviously language at the beginning is difficult. And it's yeah, having the confidence. I, I definitely relate to, you know, walking into a tapas bar, a busy tapas bar or any bar, really. It can be quite uh, an intimidating experience for the uninitiated at the beginning and trying to 
bark your order across a crowded bar like you said you're comparing it to the uk you just sort of stand politely waiting to be acknowledged it doesn't really work like that here and again it's language as well because i think in spain it's almost more polite to go in and use the imperatives they sort of give me a beer whereas yeah. i go in and say oh excuse me when you've got a moment please can i have a beer and i don't think they like that apparently someone once said to me if you use the imperative it's like they're talking to you on the same level so they think you're your friend but if you try and be too polite they see it slightly patronizing i found that quite difficult i think the late hours <laughs> different timetable was a big adjustment um, but that helped at the beginning. So if all Spaniards would go and have dinner at 9, 10, 11 at night, if I went between 7 or 8, at least I knew I wouldn't have to fight so many people to get my order taken. <laughs> <laughs> That's no true. one else was in the restaurant or the bar. It was all mine. <laughs> yeah, you have the place yourself. Yeah, I, I, I think I think everyone would, would go along with that. Certainly in my case, um, uh, the whole kind of timetable is shunted forward by or backwards however you look at it too, by a couple of hours so uh, meal times definitely um <clears throat> eating much later uh, thing i struggle with still just pe- just going out and socializing much later than i would than i would back home i always i always mention this i think i've touched on this in previous episodes of, of you know the kind of culture in the uk on a friday evening everyone from the office going kind of directly to the nearest pub to have a few pints mm-hmm. at you know six o'clock six thirty on a friday Whereas just here, that doesn't happen. People go home, they go home and have a nap, they have a shower, they eat. And then they're like, oh, do you fancy going out, meeting, I don't know, 10 o'clock, 10.30, mm-hmm. 11? You know, oh, my God. It's so strange. Isn't it? I sort of lose momentum if I go home. I want to go go straight and then um, keep my energy up. Yeah, exactly. I think when you adjust to it, though, it, does, it is nicer because you feel like your days are longer. I feel like I did more every day. Yeah, you feel like you're kind of squeezing sort of two mini days into one day almost. Mm. I particularly found that having later lunch. I definitely, I really liked having longer mornings. And it was like my sleep. I did find the, the later nights more difficult. Do you have any favourite places in Madrid? I'm thinking maybe, you know, you spent two and a half years. You obviously got in Madrid, you got to know the city very well. Um, for any listeners to this episode who are uh, thinking of maybe doing the same, moving to Madrid, any any favourite places? Any personal recommendations? I would say my favourite neighbourhood is Malatania. Probably. Well, that's where I spent most of my time um, yeah. and where most of my friends lived. And I just love it. It's such a, a fun, fuzzy area. Um, I My favourite bar would definitely be the 1862 bar in Malatania. Ah, yeah, yeah. Best cocktails in Madrid. Best cocktails, yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah I, in terms of, sort of watching what felt to me like very authentic Spanish life go by. I absolutely loved Plaza Olvide. Beautiful um, square, yes. And it's the kind of place, I remember when I was flat hunting in my first week, I came across it and I just sat there about two hours feeling thoroughly despondent and I hadn't found anywhere to live. Um, and I just felt like a different person when I left. I just watched, there were amazing benches everywhere under the trees and there were just these groups of grannies on one bench gossiping away and all their husbands on a bench under the tree next door um just sitting in communal silence happy silence and <laughs> yeah. um, lots of kids playing in the fountain i don't know it just felt really local and nice and lots of great bars around there in the summer it's heaving um yeah it's a beautiful square i, I always recommend that square to people who are coming to visit because um, it's a little bit off the beaten path, maybe. It's a bit more of a, a neighbourhood, yeah, perhaps. it's an obvious place to go. But it's also very near my favourite museum, which is the Saroya Museum. 
Ah, yeah, great music. That's a really good recommendation, actually. Plaza Olavide, though, yeah, I would say that is a great recommendation. It's a beautiful square, um, beautiful place. I love Valentina, great nights out in Valentina. Um, Retiro Park is beautiful. Just touching on what you said about uh, finding somewhere to live, how how was your experience of that? I mean, when I f- when I first moved to Madrid, it was horrendous. It was it's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. I think I mean looking back now, I can't believe quite how naive I was when I arrived in Madrid, knowing no one or anything about the city, and I just put myself into a hostel for three days and thought, oh, it's fine. I would have found somewhere to to stay after three days. The hostel for a start was grim, um, and <laughs> I looked at must have been 20 flats in the first few days and actually because my Spanish was still terrible then I got it was such an effort calling people up and going around and looking at places and feeling like you're being interviewed in a language where you can't really express yourself um and I saw some really nasty places that didn't (laughs) remotely correspond to what they look like on the internet um but uh yeah so I ended up staying in several different places short term at the beginning I met a lovely English girl Lucinda, who lent me her room for a couple of weeks when she went back to London. And that was really nice because it gave me a bit of breathing space. And um, it was then that I decided I really wanted to stay. So it was easier to look for somewhere when I could say I was going to stay longer. It is a pretty tiring and grueling experience. And like you said, you know, with a language barrier as well. I remember running around Madrid after work when you're already tired, going to endless sort of castings, as they call them here. And you think you're going to be the only person that's viewing the flat and you turn up and uh, there are like eight other people all viewing the flat at the same time and then having these weird kind of systems. From my experience in some places I went to, they sort of handed out a little form and it was like, write a piece of personal information about yourself and leave your phone number and we might contact you oh no yeah, i didn't get that <laughs> no but i was really lucky in the end i found a really nice place in Arguez, um with lovely spanish uh spanish girl flat was very old <laughs> let's just say nothing really worked very well um but it was great We'll come on to your book in a second, but just I've got just a couple of other questions first about your time in Madrid. I mean, looking back now, um, and I'm am I right in thinking that you're 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 living and working in London now? Yes. How does life compare nowadays? You know, London life compared to your to life in Madrid. Are, are there any kind of really stark differences for you? Is there anything that you prefer about London life? Is there anything that you miss about uh, your life living and working in Madrid? If you live abroad, you should never come home until you've killed it, killed the experience of wherever you are. And I definitely didn't do that. I came back when I still loved Madrid. And as a result, any time I felt remotely unhappy or depressed in London, I just thought, oh, everything's better in Madrid. I wish I was still in Madrid. Oh, this wouldn't happen in Madrid. Um, <laughs> and actually, I think writing the book was great because it meant I didn't have to let go of Madrid. I wrote, I wrote the book when I was back in London. Um, and it was a great excuse to go back for lots of long weekends and, and it kept it alive. But I think it, at the same time, delayed my readjustment back to London life. I see. So that's interesting. By writing the book, you were kind of reliving your life in Madrid kind of vicariously through through writing the book. I mean, it was, it was great in one way. And don't get me wrong, I will always love Madrid. But I think now the book's done, I, I feel a bit more settled in London. I will always keep going back to Madrid a lot and I would love to go back and live there again one day. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, would you move back? So you, I, I imagine you kind of view it as your second home, really. Completely, yeah. And I've still got lots of friends there and it's 
it's so nice to go away somewhere where where you know how the metro works and you you know where you want to go you don't have to look at a, a map or ask for absolutely you know how everything works you know where everything is yeah i mean i only really moved back because i broke up with a spanish boyfriend and i had enough of teaching but was having trouble finding another job yeah a different job and it was the summer and so i sort of came came back to my parents um in England and then I just sort of never really went back to Madrid it wasn't it wasn't like I thought right now's the time to move back to London that's what I want to do I just sort of happened what would you say are your kind of takeaways from your time living in Spain um you know did you learn anything about yourself did it teach you anything um did it did it did the experience kind of change you in any way hugely I think it was the best thing I ever did living in Spain I I think it made me a much more open person I think I said to somebody once when I was thinking about coming back to London, I don't know if it sounds really weird. No, no, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> I really don't want to lose the person I've become. I really like the Spanish Kate and I don't want to move back to London and, and lose there and just revert back to my old self. I think I became much more confident. I think much more independent. I think I've picked up some of the Spanish positivity about life. And I think a lot of that came down to the constant Spanish sunshine just the blue skies made me feel a lot more uplifted every day that's interesting I, I that's a really good point I've heard lots of people say that that they kind of develop another side to their personality or kind of another version of themselves so you kind of have your your English version and then your your Spanish version and they're, and they're kind of slightly different personalities yes and I think that's exacerbated if you speak two languages so I, I feel like a different person now when I speak Spanish I love that I love that Spanish version of me, but I think they're balancing out now, the two, the two of us. <laughs> Does that make me sound weird? No, no, it, I, I, I can completely identify with that. Now, there's some, someone famous, and you might know who, a famous author, or someone once said that you, you have as many souls as languages you speak or something like that. That was Charlemagne. That quote is in the front of my book, actually. That's where I must have seen it. That's why it's in my head. But I can't remember who it was. <laughs> yeah, he who learns uh, a second language possesses a second soul. So talking about your book, the protagonist, Evie Fuller, is it fair to say that she's you kind of based it on yourself to some extent? Is there a, obviously kind of autobiographical element to it or is that wide of the mark? <laughs> I like to call it a novel just for, for the sake of Eve. But yes, obviously she is remarkably similar to me. Um, which can't be a pure coincidence. She, yes, she's definitely not 100% me, but um, yes, the book is heavily inspired by my experiences. Was there any part of the book that you particularly enjoyed writing, that you particularly enjoyed indulging your nostalgia, your memories of your time in Madrid? The the classes of mechanics. Um, Right. (laughs) I think they're the part that's most um, autobiographical. And they, they just, once my terror wore off, and believe me, I was absolutely terrified at the beginning. I, was, I hated being in front of them all. And they realised quite quickly that I blushed very easily and get embarrassed incredibly. <laughs> so they came out with all sorts of inappropriate jokes and comments and you right. the whole time. Um, but once that wore off, uh, they were just hilarious. And they kept me on my toes so much and made me look at language so differently and um, I loved the, the sort of visual nature of uh, Spanish in 
contrast to English. I mean, I, I completely see why they struggle. Oh, I see. You mean in terms of Spanish being very phonetic in terms of it's more or less pronounced how it's written? Uh, yes, and also the sort of expression. So um, to hacer la cobra, to, to do the cobra, <laughs> is to like wiggle your head out of the way of an unwanted kiss. Like <laughs> It's um, a great expression. Yeah, I love that. I just love that. The Spanish language has a very rich bank of colloquialisms and colloquial expressions, which I absolutely adore. I mean, English does too, but the Spanish ones are quite humorous and and, and quite odd. Yeah. I love the fact that to be like a cheese is to be really good looking. Why would you think that was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just like no correlation at all between between the meaning and, and the actual vocabulary in the phrase sometimes it's completely no, but then um i think english is so confusing for, for students too my favorite expression from one of the, my favorite question from one of them was uh, what's a selfish person i don't understand is that somebody <laughs> who sells fish somebody who sells fish i love it that's great mm-hmm. Students can come out with some absolute classics, can't they, sometimes? Yeah, brilliant. And I feel like they taught me so much about English as well as teaching me so much Spanish. I don't think I'd ever really... Well, I don't think we're taught language in a very good way in England. No, I agree with you. I, my memories of English at school, I mean, I never remember being really taught grammar. I never really mm-hmm. being taught the difference between an adverb and an adjective or no, anything like that, really. And present perfect whenever it was way beyond me. Well, totally, yeah. Tenses, no way. No, 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 nothing at all. Was it quite a big decision for you to decide to write a book? How did that come about? When did you think, right, I've got all of this inside me and I want to get it out and I think there's a book in this. How did you find the process of getting all of your uh, experiences and ideas down, but through developing a character, Evie? I've always I've always liked writing. I've always had jobs that involve lots of writing. And I've always vaguely thought in the back of my mind, um, maybe I'd like to write a book one day. But when I first moved back to London, I was quite lucky finding a three and a half day a week job quite quickly in a PR agency. And I thought I'll start with that and then find some other work the other day and a half. And rather too quickly became um, rather used to just working three and a half days a week and uh, having a day and a half to myself to have fun <laughs> and relax and absolutely yeah everybody kept saying oh, but what are you doing with your day and a half and I got rather bored of the question and of having no impressive answer <laughs> saying um well maybe I'm going to write a book who knows you know I could do anything with my day and a half a week and then a month or so later people asked so how's the book going I thought oh god I've really talked myself into this now haven't I but at the same time I thought I had so many funny stories and so much material i think sort of funny things always happen to you when you're abroad everyone seems to have a, a wealth of stories of amusing yeah, anecdotes yeah. and things they do and they're more memorable for some reason i think it's kind of magnified when you're in a different country in a different culture yeah and as i said before i think you're you're much more open to it you see it you appreciate it because you're not so sort of weighed down with the normal life as it were um so yeah so i started uh putting it all together well I'm trying to to write it and it took about two years and obviously gave you uh, lots of excuses to come back and visit Madrid for research purposes exactly (laughs) I have been back many times um, and I don't know I don't think I'm the most self-disciplined person Um, so I did spend quite a lot of time staring out the window but 
but I really enjoyed the writing process. And I think actually my favorite part of the whole thing was having it edited and Sam, a really lovely editor who, who helped me with the whole thing, uh, slashed out 25,000 words of my waffle. And <laughs> was that kind of- was it that was quite liberating. Oh. I thought, God, I would never have had the guts to do that, but you're so right. And we had a really interesting conversation about how, you know, what was the purpose of the book? This was not me preserving my memories. And there were lots of things in there that were important to me and my time in Spain, but were not actually relevant to, to Evie or, or any reader of the book. So that whole editing process I found really, really liberating and um, satisfying. Any plans for a, a follow-up book? Would would we see any more adventures from Evie? Or would, would you, now that you have one novel under your belt, would you like to, to write another one, but not necessarily uh, connected with Spain or anything like that? Yes, I have started writing a second second book. It's not going, it's not moving particularly fast at the moment, but um, you may see Evie as a, as a small character, but she's not going to be the protagonist this time. Um, a cameo role in this one exactly i think um yeah i want to try try someone who's less familiar to me the main character is any advice you might have for listeners about moving to spain is there anything you would have done differently uh any any particularly useful nuggets of wisdom that you you would share for anyone who's in the uk dreaming of moving to spain i would say go for it definitely the best thing i ever did um if I could go back and change anything, I would perhaps be a bit more organised with my research beforehand um, and also not be so hard on myself. I think at the beginning, I just thought, gosh, why is my Spanish not fluent? Why do I not have more Spanish friends? Why am I hanging out with English expats or other expats? Um, and just enjoy every part of the experience um, without putting pressure on yourself. Yeah, definitely. That's really good advice. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I was thinking there are now, I mean, I, I wasn't really aware of them at the time that they did exist when I went to Spain, but there are so many great groups online and meetup groups and um, things like that. I think it's easier to, to, to find, uh, find friends. Definitely recommend doing an intercambio where you, you find a Spanish person who wants to learn English and you meet once a week to chat for an hour in English and an hour in Spanish. 100%. It's a great way of not only practicing your language skills, but really making friends. Kate, where can people get a hold of a copy of uh, Happy as a Partridge? They can get it on Amazon, although the best place I would suggest is my website, kateboyleauthor.com. Kateboyleauthor.com, okay. I met a guy who's started an English language bookshop uh, online only at the moment um, in Madrid, madreadonline.com madreadonline.com Kate what I will do for the listeners is I will obviously put I'll, I'll put a link to your to your website and I'll put a link to the Amazon page so that people can easily navigate uh, to be able to buy a copy of the book easily amazing thank you very much thank you Kate thanks for joining the When in Spain podcast absolute pleasure to talk to you um, you too So that was Kate Boyle. If you'd like to grab a copy of her book, Happy as a Partridge, Life and Love in Madrid, you can find it via her own personal website, which is kateboyleauthor.com. You can also find it, of course, on Amazon. 
And you can also find it uh, on an independent online book retailer which specializes in English uh, books for sale here in Spain. And that is called madreadonline.com. And of course, I'll put links to these uh, places in the show notes of this episode. So go ahead, go and grab a copy, go and give it a read. I really, really enjoyed it. And just also a reminder of a couple of those curious Spanish colloquial phrases uh, that Kate mentioned uh, in the interview. Uh, well, the title of the book, just in case you weren't sure, Feliz como una perdiz, means really as happy as a partridge. And I've sometimes heard it uh, used as más feliz que una perdiz. And what it really means is as happy as a partridge or happier than a partridge, as in the bird. So una perdiz is a partridge, in case you were wondering. The other one that came up, which is quite funny, is estar como un queso, to be like a cheese. And, well, it's a big compliment if someone if someone says this to you. It literally means to be like a cheese, but it really means to be hot or to be good looking or to be attractive. So I don't know what the connection is with cheese, but there you go. Another uh, unusual Spanish colloquial expression. And the other one, which I think is great, uh, that came up in the interview was hacer la cobra. Hacer la cobra, to do the cobra. Uh, and this means to kind of, when someone goes to kiss you and you kind of pull your head back because you don't want to kiss the person or maybe you're you're surprised that they're trying to kiss you and it really means to do the cobra to do the cobra to to, to kind of swivel your head back like a cobra snake i guess Anyway, so we'll leave it there for this episode. Don't forget that When in Spain is uh, available on all the usual social media hangouts, uh, particularly the When in Spain Facebook group, um, which is, of course, free to join. Uh, we've got about 1,500 members on there now. It's a place to share information, ask questions, and, of course, socialize with other When in Spain fans as well, wherever you are in the world. So that'll about do it for this episode. Uh, I can't believe we're in August already. Madrid is empty. It's like a ghost town. So I'm going to have a little wander around these empty streets. And well, as for you guys, you're going to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. Yeah, if you listen to the show, please hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you listen on because that helps boost the podcast up the rankings a bit, gives it a bit more visibility and helps more people discover the show and also don't forget tell your friends or family or anyone uh, that you know uh, about the podcast if you think it might be of interest to them if they're if you know any other spain fans please recommend this podcast to them and also have a little think about signing up on patreon uh, and help support the future of this podcast i really hope you do uh, speak to you again next week a new episode on monday which i've already recorded but you'll have to tune in uh, next time to see what it's about uh, in the meantime have a lovely week wherever you are on the planet and hasta luego